Hey everyone, just a quick content warning. You'll notice that we have an unusually long episode today, and that's because for roughly 30 minutes we have an in-depth discussion of sexual assault and predation. There's nothing explicit, but if such material is a little too much to handle for you at this point in time, it begins in the second segment of the show right after our discussion of pansexuality. Drinking and Dance supports all survivors on their path to healing, and we will list support resources in the show notes if you feel you need help on your journey. That said, on with the show. Seemingly minor yet persistent things penetrate the mind over time, making it difficult to ever realize the impact. Hence, though quite unfortunate, the most dangerous forms of corruption are those that are subtle and below the radar. Chris Jami Our world today perhaps more than most, is beset with hardships. It doesn't take much effort to look around and see our fellow citizens, neighbors, brothers, and sisters suffering under the weight of problems that have existed long before any of us arrived here. Because we humans are social animals and have empathy, it's only right and natural that we should want to help those who suffer. But, as the old proverb states, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Often we miss how our actions can impact those we try to help, and the unintended consequences that come after. In those moments, all our good intentions mean little compared to the damage we leave in our wake. But there is always a way back, and the first step along that way is to acknowledge what we've done in order to learn how we can make things right. Have you taken time to consider the consequences of your actions? Have you made amends to those involved, even if the only person involved was you? As we take our first step off the paved road, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. Welcome back to Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. My next guest is an amazing dancer and performer, as well as community organizer and activist in Salt Lake City. Uh, her favorite accomplishments include being a part of, of uh, Murmuration 2019, which is a show I co-wrote and also performed in, uh, becoming an organizer for SLC Slay, cultivating the kiki scene in Utah and helping bring ball culture to the Utah dance scene, and getting her tens at any ball she has ever taken part in. And if you don't know what that means yet, no worries, we got you. She's been called the Cheshire Cat because long after she's defeated you in battle, it's said that her smile will haunt you for the rest of your days, bringing you daily to the brink of madness, turning what remains of your pitiful life into a sort of walking nightmare to last until merciful death comes to claim you, and maybe even after that. I tell you true, dear listeners, 
I can no longer remember my grandmother's face, but every night I close my eyes to see that deranged grin, always smiling, never laughing, always smiling, never laughing, like staring into the maw of a great and terrible abyss and having the abyss stare back. Ooh, it also says here that she has a twin brother who is an artist. Uh, she's a hopeless romantic. She loves Hayao Miyazaki movies. And she has a fear of thunder and lightning. It's my honor to welcome Jasmine Pike, a.k.a. CC99, a.k.a. CC007, a.k.a. The Doombringer. Jasmine, welcome to the show. You're going to make me get my ass whooped at, like, every single battle now, <laughs> like, with that intro, like well don't you worry that's only if somebody's heard this podcast so <laughs> yo that was tight I, I was like sitting there like i was like dang who is this <laughs> <laughs> no it all comes from uh i remember uh at murmuration we were backstage with uh with jesse sykes and he was um he was on one right yeah and uh he and i were like doing the uh the hulk hogan thing with a brother right <laughs> And then he turns to you and you had your, your shaved head and he turns to you and he, cause you were telling him to shut the fuck up. Cause we were going to go on. Right. <laughs> and he turns to you and he just like his eyes widen and he, he, he grabs like your head and he's just like, brother. <laughs> and then you, you, you stepped right up to him. And I can't remember everything that you said to him, but it was a lot of like run your shit. And you called him the N word a bunch. And, uh, I just stood back and I was in this perfect ec ecstasy of like laughing my head off, but also being completely fucking terrified. So <laughs> it was oh, really impressive. That was so bad. I know. I really, I really need to chill sometimes. <laughs> like I'm like, once you like, you, you, no. you hit a nerve, <laughs> like something just happens and I'm just like, all right, let me go ahead, get my Rolodex in my brain and just be like, all right, what do we got? What do we got? All right. I mean, you walked onto that stage with his nuts in your purse. It was amazing. <laughs> Jesse, we love you. Yeah, shout out Jesse Sykes. <laughs> if he hears this, he's gonna, I swear, I'm going to get a message and be like, the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so what are you drinking today? I am drinking a mimosa. I, you know, I just wanted something kind of basic. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Currently, I'm in quarantine. I'm in self-quarantine because uh, I found out someone that I was uh, teaching with had ended up getting po tested positive. And so I'm taking all the Oof. precautionary. Yeah. So I'm taking all the precautionary measures. Nobody coming over. Nobody's. I'm not seeing anybody. I called my doctor. It's, it's a nightmare to try to go and get a damn test taken. But the doctor's like, just self-quarantine 14 days and if you get symptoms you can go get tested and so i'm like okay but i'm trying to just see if my insurance will go ahead and just uh but but, but 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 the president said that anybody who wants a test can get one are you are you saying the president's a liar um <laughs> are we are we gonna are we gonna get that far right now because because i can <laughs> I can go off if you want. Uh, uh, let's let's press pause on this one. We'll, we'll come back to it later. But in the meantime, thank you very much for being responsible on behalf of um, everyone else who's trying to be. Um, it's really hit or miss depending on, you know, who you are in this country, whether or not you're trying to act right. So thank yeah. you for, for doing the right thing and looking out for others. Yeah. Uh, I myself am about, I'm pouring myself a uh, Fin du Monde, which is my favorite beer. 
uh, it means the end of the world, and it's part of what name to this podcast. So, okay. uh-huh. um, so first and foremost, as tradition demands, uh, toast. Cheers to your health. Yes. Ah, uh, all right. So down to business. Uh, <laughs> my first, uh, my first uh, get to know you question is: Who inspired you when you were coming up, and who inspires you today? Oof! Lord have mercy. Um, it's please, Lord, have so much mercy. <laughs> it. I have like weird phases. So like, I've been, I've technically have been dancing all my life. Like when I was a young kid. I was mimicking the Michael Jackson music videos like all the time. Like, remember mm-hmm. the time and Rock With You was like my shit, like one hundred percent. And I like know the dance to, and everything. And so, but that's like how I would just mimic it. And then, um, if anything, there's when I was a kid, there's two people. Um, her name is Den Danelle. I think that's what it was. Danielle or Danielle? It's one of the two. Um, mm. it's been so long, so I don't remember, <laughs> but <laughs> she was my first hip hop teacher. And I mean, now I use that term very loosely cause you know, it's Oh yes. Whole, it's the whole thing. I but do know. yes, <laughs> but she was, she was my first like actual dance teacher that I had. And then, um, another guy by the name of Jamaica who taught capoeira and hey. I, I used to do capoeira as a kid and those, two, and they, so they both, those two like really kind of helped me like get more like technique down but also understand like music and culture and like knowing about certain things you're doing especially if like you're doing something like capoeira like where Uh, it's not even from the u.s or anything like that and then with danelle she really made me understand that like that hip-hop is a culture it's not just a dance style mm. so and, and, and i and i appreciate that you know because going through my life, you know, I stopped dancing when I was in junior high and high school because, like, you got to worry about school and bullies and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's what the capoeira's for. Right? <laughs> I Fucking know, but... spinning axe kick right to the <laughs> face, motherfucker. But, well, I mean, it definitely wasn't me worrying about that way. I was just like, who's <laughs> going to love me? <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, like, once I started it up again, I would say... There's way too many people, honestly, that I can like name who've inspired me to keep going. First and foremost, my my person, my best friend, my lifetime dance partner, um, by the name of Preston. Hey, um, uh, shout out to Preston McKay. Yes, yes. Him, one first and foremost, like we've been in this together since the beginning, and so like he's one, and then I've got. Tia Iono, Jesse Sykes, like, um, God, there's so many. Shout out to Salt Lake. Yeah, like, literally, there's so many dope-ass people in Salt Lake that have really, like, um, oh, um, Andrea and Bobby Kuhn, because they both got me started in a dance company. Like, there's just so many different people who've played so many impactful parts in my journey that... I just, there's just too many. There's too many. So, um, so that would just say for like inspiring me throughout. Yes. I think right now who really inspire me are several different people. Um, One, as far as like my voguing goes, 100% I have to give credit to Dolores Ninja 
and Brandon Flora, um, who's now part of the House of Lorraine. So mm-hmm. those two truly have been so monumental <laughs> when it comes to like my journey into Vogue and ballroom that like I would not be where I'm where I'm at now and I'm still not even shit but like (laughs) I wouldn't be as passionate and as understanding and as open to learning more about it if it wasn't for those two 100 Mm. percent um so yeah those two 100 percent like voguing wise those uh dance wise just overall Mm. still so many people from utah like jesse still does tia still does um some uh, e-boogie e-boogie and um because he's in vegas now so e-boogie and uh soul like those oh yeah and um xavier like uh crowns from from seattle Mm. like there's just I don't know. I don't have like just one person to go to because there's so many aspects of like dance and like my journey that have each person has impacted me in some shape or form or inspired me in some shape or form that mm-hmm. still comes back to my dance. So it's just kind of like if we're just naming off people, we could be th- that literally could be your entire podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. And I appreciate that. And you know, I, I totally understand there's so many pieces to a human soul, even that, like, how are you going to name every single connection that you, you know, that that made um, some sort of valuable contribution to your development? Facts. I'm pretty sure I probably forgot some names. So I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I'm about to hear from somebody. I'm gonna be like, damn it. Like, yeah, my bad. <laughs> I mean, every every guest that tries to name everybody will always they always fall short and they always have to apologize later. But, you know, I mean, anybody, any reasonable person knows that it's too many to name. Um, exactly. so you mentioned Vogue. Um, are there any other styles that you practice and what drew you to them? <laughs> um, honestly, no, that's really the only style that I put my whole heart in as far as like training goes, I've Mm -hmm. dabbled. And by dabble, I mean, I've taken maybe one or two classes. um, And I, but I haven't really gone any farther than that. But like Vogue is definitely the style that like I have been training in hardcore for like the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've dabbled in whacking a little bit. I've dabbled in like, a little bit of house a little little bit like that's like probably one of the styles where i took one class i respect everybody <laughs> who can do it like yeah <laughs> and i will not do it in front in front of some people in this scene there's like chacho chacho is a, is a house dancer in utah i will never house in front of him because i i respect it way too much and respect him way too much to ever just do that because he'll whoop my ass he's whooped my ass so many times in battles it's not even funny but like respectfully <laughs> so, i mean you know, I mean the the entire culture of house, so that's kind of antithetical to the the point of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of hard to imagine some like fucking hard ass house head going out there and destroying people because that you know because they they danced you know to house music with less than perfect technique, like you know. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, but it's just. just... Trot was scary, but like in a then like the most like respectful way possible. Mm-hmm. Like he, so I did like a seven to smoke. It was like an invitation only, 
and he whooped nice. every, he whooped everybody's ass like literally he was the first one and just taking everybody out left and right and it was just like all right yep. okay bet like all right this is great <laughs> <laughs> um and we had a conversation after and i've never had a conversation with this with this guy like a like a like a deep conversation like it's very always been like hey how are you doing or we see yeah. each other and we're like, hey, yo, what up? Like, head nod, and it is what it is. But, like, I actually, like, sat down and, like, was talking with him. And, and we were talking about, um, you know, how House and Vogue have very, like, you know, similarities as far as, like, the, the upbringing of it. And then, like, we talked about, like, Check Your Body at the Door, which is mm. that documentary that, like, that Archie did back in the 90s and, and stuff like that. Shout out to Archie Burnett. <laughs> yes, shout out. He's the one that started that, you know what? That's another person. That's the one that really started my dive into Vogue because of the, it was a couple of years ago when he when he um, judged for Block Party mm-hmm. um, and I was in the dance company that I was in and at that time I didn't really have a style to me. Like I was just kind of like a freestyler and I just like knew how to move with the music, (laughs) but just used it to my advantage kind of thing. Um, And I remember like there was a cypher going on and well, there's like, I mean, you've been to block party. There's like three cyphers going on at the time at a time at any, at any one time. Yeah. And so um there was one where i was going in doing the things and then he came in and started like doing it and we had like this quick exchange in the cypher and then i went up to him after and i talked to him and i was like oh my gosh like you're so amazing like i literally was like a fangirl like hardcore <laughs> and and i i remember this to this day i don't know if he remembers it but like i just remember he was just like he has his you know he has his glasses with his flashlight oh, yes. and he yep. like he like perches them on his nose and he's like so what do you do what is it that you do? And I was like, mm. oh, well, I mean, I just kind of just freestyle. Like, I don't, like, have a style or anything. Like, I kind of whack a little bit. And mm. he looks at me and he's like, I can see you doing Vogue. But I don't know what it is about you, but whatever it is, just keep doing that. Because it's good. <laughs> and I just remember it. And I just, like, one of those, like, it was like when the kid looks up to, like, a parent. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Like, that's yep. literally what happened. And then after You just that- described almost every interaction I've had with Archie over the past <laughs> three years. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> literally though, like he's just like a entity that is just like so amazing. <laughs> mm. Oh, no argument here. So I'm sorry, I think I cut you off. You were telling a story about um the that house dancer after that. Oh spoke. no, well yeah. So it really was just like we had that conversation of like, but it was like it was like kind of like one of those conversations where you're kind of shooting the shit. But oh, yeah. for me, it was one of those moments of like, did did he just talk to me? Like have like a conversation like it's mm-hmm. one of those ones where sometimes like you have so much respect for people that you're almost afraid of them and yeah. it was one of those moments where I was like damn well, I just had a conversation with this person oh my god <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still afraid of him like as far as battle goes but like he's such a dope human being like mm-hmm. that it was just kind of it kind of took away that like surface level fear that you get when you see someone who's like super dope but you haven't you don't have the courage to go and talk to them Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like this own fear that you create within yourself but it was it was one of those dope it was it was a dope moment either way I don't really know where I was going with that that conversation I go on tangents a lot so 
Well, you've heard the show. That's kind yeah. of <laughs> the bread and butter of what we do here. So you're good. I have to confess, uh, though, that for as much time as I've spent in the dance world, most of my knowledge of ball culture uh, comes either from spending time with Archie or binge watching Pose while drowning my sorrow in ice cream. <laughs> so what can you tell us about the culture? Hey, Ben and Jerry's don't fuck around. Yo, <laughs> facts though. <laughs> what, uh, what can you tell us about the culture and the origin of terms like Kiki and getting your tens for anybody listening in who may not be acquainted? Yes. So um, I will first say, just as a disclaimer, I, I'm still learning. I've only been doing this and really diving into ball culture for the last, like, three years Hmm. so even i still sometimes slip up on how to define things and how to explain them so if that's the case if any of anyone who knows me who listens to this and wants to correct me on some shit please like just reach out to me so i you know i know for the future but anyways so um so ball culture really started at least from my knowledge started in the early 1800s or no, 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 no. Sorry. Late 1800s, early 1900s with, you know, events where you would, you know, have different categories and you would win for trophies and bragging rights and, and, and prizes and things like that. So a kiki is kind of just like you're having, from what I know, it's just, you're having a good time with your friends. You're having a kiki, you're having a a good time with a group of people in a particular moment in time. So uh, sorry, sorry. I just gotta, I just gotta cut in real quick. Yes. Um, because my brain is doing this thing to me that I can't, uh, I can't ignore it. Um, you said 1800s to 1900s, so we're talking post Civil War, Industrial Revolution type. Yeah. Timeline. Yeah. So like when I say like late 19, late 1800s, we're like talking like 1890 to like eight, 1890s to like. 1920s like Harlem Renaissance like yo that is amazing yeah and I had no idea I honestly I've always been telling people it's the early 1900s I rarely just I barely like a couple weeks ago just found out that it goes as far as back as like the late 1800s and I was like damn like wow yeah so so sorry to cut you off no you're good so ball culture as we know it today kind of really there was kind of a separation that happened because civil rights. And mm-hmm. in these particular balls, a lot of the black indigenous people of color, um, specifically black and Latino or Latinx um, people of color were being passed up on judging uh, during the competitions or sometimes weren't even allowed in to, to the event. And so um, there was a group of people, you know, black indigenous people of color who, was like, all right, fuck y'all. <laughs> we gonna do our thing over here. And mm-hmm. now you really see ball culture just kind of was just evolved to what we know what it is today. So mm-hmm. voguing didn't really come until like, from my knowledge, like until like the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that stuff, like a lot of the balls like before were mostly like, you were doing like face or runway or you were, they were judging your look or something like that. And then Vogue kind of came along in the eighties and brought that dance aspect um, mm. into, into the balls. So um, for anybody who's listening to this, 
watch Paris is Burning, watch Kiki, because there's, there's another documentary called Kiki um, that came out, I want to say, like, I don't remember when it came out, but it's definitely been within the last, like, 10 years um, that talks about the Kiki scenes more, because there's, there's a difference between the major scenes and the Kiki scenes. So, like, the major scenes is where you have, like, a major house affiliation. So if you're, like, part of the House of Ninja or the House of Extravaganza, um, House mm-hmm. of Balmain, like, there's a major house affiliation within that particular scene. I see. The Kiki scenes started out as, like, a training ground, in a sense, <laughs> where you, you're training to go walk the balls in, in the major scenes and, and kind of, you know, meet those people and, and prepare yourself. But it's become such of its own thing now that you kind of like you like still people who do like the or in the kiki scenes still go into the major scenes but Mm. you see that now you know there's a lot more room for experiment experimentation in the kiki scenes versus like the major scenes there's the set rules the set like things you have to kind of abide by where you know kiki scenes you can have a little bit more I don't want to say more fun with it, but it's like not as strict as I think is the best way that I can explain it. Okay. So what does, do you know where the term Kiki comes from? Um, I probably do, but I just can't think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> but I gotcha. um, that's probably a question I'd have to ask Brandon or Dolores just to see. Cause, cause with both Brandon and Dolores, like who I have, gotten so much training and knowledge from mm-hmm. both of them are part of the major scene and the kiki scene so hmm. both of them are in major houses so brandon's in the house of loren dolores is part of the house of ninja but hmm. both of them actually have their own kiki houses so uh dolores she has her kiki house which is the kiki house of you better work and then brandon's is the kiki house of flora so hmm. so you can still participate in both the major scene and the kiki scene at the same time um but i don't really know where the term kiki comes from as far as make kind of distincting the two so i have to ask him about that okay so in yeah and let's let's put this in terms that are completely antithetical to what we're actually talking about right now so major scene would be like regulated ufc cage matches and kiki scene would be bare knuckle back alley boxing uh, yes and no the best like analogy that i like to use for for like major and kiki scenes is like mm-hmm. weirdly enough baseball or like Ooh, or like basketball like you have like the major scene is like you know, the, the major leagues, you know, where okay. you're going to like the big stadiums and stuff. And then the Kiki scene is like the minor leagues where Solid. like, it's not as big, but there's kind of like a little bit of different rules here and there, you know, but okay. you know, sometimes you can get plucked from the, the, from the minor leagues into the, to go into the major leagues, which is kind of the same idea sometimes for doing kiki like when you're in the kiki scene sometimes people will see you and be like yo like you're tight like come <laughs> kick it with us and then all of a sudden you find out they're like in the major scenes and then you can go and, and walk a major ball i personally haven't walked a major ball yet because i am honestly too well one of my goals was to walk a major ball this year but you know miss rona decided to um that bitch she, that she, she really fucked up 
my travel plans and my goals for this year because that was one of my biggest things was to try mm-hmm. to walk a major ball this year because I haven't I've walked kiki balls but I haven't walked major balls yet and so I was like okay 2020 this is the year mm-hmm. and here I am sitting in my apartment not looking to be traveling anytime soon because mm-hmm. Miss Rona was just like you know what fuck your goals fuck your plans <laughs> fuck your events sit your ass down sit you sit your ass down and you're gonna sit <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like you're gonna sit here and think about what you did and oh, then for you real. come out and th- so that's why i'm like okay all right yeah mm. well, i mean you really have two options that uh at that point you can either rage against the um you know the unfairness of it all or you can go with the flow and see where it takes you yeah so you know, I think you're, I think you're doing it right. Personally. Um, <laughs> it's definitely one of those years is like, this is just like a year of realizing things. And like my friends are realizing things, mm-hmm. but it's definitely been a year of self-reflection and exposure. 100%. Even like with my, myself, like exposing mm-hmm. even more bad habits or patterns and, mindsets that I've had that I'm just like you you fucked up somewhere let's let's Mm -hmm. let's 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 look at this real quick let's take this box let's unpack it let's see what the fuck you is doing and try to figure out if we need to keep this box or not kind of shit so oh you just sang my heart song (laughs) that's been uh that's absolutely been my experience this this year yeah um, so Bryce Johnson, AKA professor Locke who appears on episode 10 of this podcast. Um, he has a saying that he lives by, which is that you dance how you live. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about the influence that queer black art forms have had on the larger street dance culture in general. How do you personally feel that your experience as a queer black woman in America has influenced your dancing? So much so 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 much i i think that that is how i dance i i dance like my experiences i i, mm. I bring those experiences to life in when when i'm dancing and especially because like for me um i really believe at the end of the day like movement is movement as far as dance goes and then yeah. the, the styles that come about, like popping, walking, crump, Vogue, you know, just so many different styles, you can lay that on top of your own movement to help you tell your story better, in a sense. Mm. And so with, like, these different styles that I've dabbled in, it was kind of one of those situations where I was like, okay, I do like this, but I don't think I'm still conveying my story as well as I could. And then when I found Vogue, it was like, it was like that textbook that you found that just gave you all the tools you needed to help you tell your story. And so Mm -hmm. with that being based from a, queer black community and you know being a subculture of lgbtq plus community it's helped me figure out 
more of who I am. Like, I think honestly, just this year, I've been able to admit, not admit, but like, I've always known, but to actually just, you know, like the saying of like, if you say it out loud, it makes it real. Yeah. It was kind of one of those moments for me within the last like couple of years where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I am queer. You know what? Yeah, I am pansexual and I have no goddamn gripes about it. And I live my life the way that I live it and do the things that I do and, and learn the things that I learn and I can say it with my fucking chest. (laughs) Mm. And, and I think that's where there's so many people that can relate to that, where they've been able to say shit with their chest, with, with dance and finding a style that really speaks to them. But Mm. now it's our responsibility to speak for, for that and speak on the shit that is happening, which like I, I said this cause I called out a company, a dance company here in Utah about mm-hmm. a lack of saying shit about black lives matter. And I went and I had a conversation with them and I was like, how can you be a company where your premise is trying to merge these street styles and studio styles together into one company where most of these styles you are doing come from black people and black communities Mm. and the very foundation of these styles that you're doing and the cultures you are trying to represent are being attacked and are at the brink of destruction Mm. like the fuck are y'all doing it's a valid question yeah you know and so it's just kind of like i think so many people can relate but some people obviously don't know how to say the things that they want to say but that's where dance comes in that's really where dance comes in there's been so many examples of how dance can be used as a form of protesting and healing and and saying your shit versus those who are using it as a performance ally, like almost in a sense of like being a performance ally. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. So while getting their own cloud. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, eh, nah, but you, you, but you, Oh, Oh, okay. Mm. All right. All right. Okay. All right, bro. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's uh, it's maddening. I just saw this video uh, yesterday. Jojo Diggs sent me a um, an Instagram uh, DM with this this video of these two dancers from Denmark. Um, and one of them, you know, the the guy on the right was a European Dane. The guy on the left was he looked like a light skinned African dude, but he was also repping Denmark. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a whole bit, a whole dance to uh this track which just repeats like arrest the killers of brianna taylor and like it it was just like the most like hollywood-esque like the the shit that you see in la every day like that kind of choreography to that like just rocking beats and shit i'm just i'm sitting here like hitting my forehead repeatedly while watching this shit like how the fuck do you get it in your head that this is helping the cause. Yeah. And you, it's fucking stupid and cringeworthy, you know? Oh, I don't even want to know if I want to watch that. Like, it just, and it's like, it's shit like that where, 
um, I'm seeing all these videos kind of come up of people using dance as a form of protest, which I am all for. I don't want to sit there and say that dance is not a good form of protest because it is. It's 100% a good form of protest. There has, if you look back into history of dance just as a whole, there has been so many instances where dance was used as a form of protest. So, and it's worked. Sometimes it hasn't, but sometimes it has. So I'm not knocking that. But mm-hmm. what comes into question is intention versus impact. You may yeah. have had great intentions, but think about what impact you are making if you're doing this. And that's like been something that I've had to really s- sit with because there's been a lot of times where I've had great intentions. I've had beautiful intentions of certain things but the impact that i made has been hit and miss and i gotta Mm -hmm. and i gotta be accountable of that i really absolutely and some people just don't understand people want to use like well i had good intentions as a cop-out of like yeah that's great you had great intentions but the impact that you created that you caused still hurt people and was still very harmful in the grand scheme of things so, yeah, what is it the old saying? Um, speaking as a recovering Catholic, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, that like it's just like <laughs> I I get it, you know. But eventually, at some point in time, intention don't mean shit if your <laughs> impact is not like aligning with that. Yeah, if you're hurting people. Yeah, what was it? my uh, one of my partners? She says. Um, uh, what was the saying she she taught me? It was honor the intention, acknowledge the impact. Ooh, let me go ahead and take a sip of my drink real quick for that. <laughs> While you're doing that, we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break. Um, my guest is Jasmine Pike, aka CC99. We will be back in just a moment while we refresh our drinks. Yes. Peace. <laughs> and we are back uh my guest again is jasmine pike aka cc99 representing uh salt lake city dance community specifically the ball scene kiki culture etc so um before we get back into it I realized that um, I, I did say that I was going to help people understand some part of the intro. Uh, we've explained Kiki. Um, can you real quick, because I know what it means, but I, I want to make sure that the audience does as well. Explain what getting your tens means. Yes. So getting your tens is the moment in the, in the ball where the category is open. Now there's, numerous categories you can walk there's face there's body there's vote performance there's runway there's so many and i'm just i'm literally naming like four of like 40 maybe but um with getting your tens what that is is when the category opens you anybody can go and walk well not anybody it, it has to be based off of what the run, the category is mm-hmm. um and you walk, and the judges will either give you your tens or you get chopped. Now, getting your tens is when all judges either put their hands up, saying like you know, with like tens or they all have ten a, fingers, some, yeah, or like some type of scorecard or something that is symbolize like symbolizing that you got your tens. 
Now, some balls, some balls will say if you get one chop, it's a whole chop. If you get two chops, it's a chop. If you get three, it, it just depends, like, on yeah. that ball. But if you have five judges and one of them is like, nope, chop, you chopped, and it's like, thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you so much for your participation. Now get your ass on out and go back into the audience, enjoy the show, enjoy the mm-hmm. event, enjoy the ball, but let these other people come through and so they can get their chance. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And come through better next time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Come better. Come correct next time. And one thing that I've seen in the very, very short amount of time that I have done balls is it is so so important if you can have that opportunity to get the judges feedback do it take that time talk to the judges after like whether it's like a break in between or um it's at the end of the night or or whatever like go and talk to the judges like sometimes some some judges might have their own agendas and that's you know it is what it is situation but at least you can go if you wouldn't know that if you hadn't gone and talked to that judge and been able to see that, or you wouldn't have known what it is that you could be working on if you don't go and talk to those judges. Like I think every single ball that I have done, Mm -hmm. I have gone and talked to the judges after because I'm like, okay, I'm a newbie. I want to know what the hell I'm doing wrong. And understanding is if, Am I getting constructed feedback from this judge or, like I said, if those judges have hidden agendas? In my experience, I haven't had that, but I know others who have had that experience. So that's why I say that. Uh-huh. Um, because experience, I mean, obviously the experience is going to be different for everybody. But in my, in my experience, I have have found it so beneficial to ask the judges after, even if I got my 10s. Like, being like, you know, what could I have done? Because even though I've gotten my 10s, I didn't win the category. Because mm-hmm. you still got to go and battle people. And, you know, I've got my ass handed to me. Yeah, but, getting your 10s is just the start. Yeah. It, oh God. Some, I will be honest, though. I am way more proud of getting my 10s than ever winning a category. I've won a category once in my life. Mm-hmm. But I've gotten 10s in all of the balls I've gone to. And that's, for me, that's why that's more of, of, more of an accomplishment to me. Because that means, like, I'm going to different places... And I'm still able to get my tens. It's, and it's almost more stressful. Like, once you have your tens, you're just kind of like, oh, shit. Okay. All right. You know what? We're just going to go in this now. And just, <laughs> we're going to fuck some shit up. But, when you, but before, when you try to get your tens, you're just like, okay, okay. All right, I gotta okay, get all five elements in there. Okay, I'm gonna start this out. Um, okay, and like I feel like I'm more stressed out. <laughs> and as soon as I got my tens, I'm like, whoo, okay, now we can really get into this shit real quick. <laughs> like, now what are the five elements uh, to get your tens? Yes. What is required? So the five elements of Vogue Femme is first is catwalk, the second is mm-hmm. duck walks, uh, third is hand performance, uh, fourth is floor performance. And the fifth is is spins and dips. Some scenes will categorize spins as a separate category. So sometimes there's six elements, but most of them will put spins and dips 
um, into one category or into now, one element. Now, I'm sorry, uh, uh, dips. I thought it was called a shablam. What, uh, what am I missing here? <laughs> I'm about to, okay. I know you just joking, <laughs> but I literally get triggered sometimes. I, I know. I, sorry. No, it's okay. I'm like, sorry. I was like, if there's a way for me to reach this from motherfucker, this, I, for real, I was like, I'm gonna remember that next time I see you. <laughs> good, good. I mean, fuck it. I'm I'm dead anyway. I'm dead man walking. Let's just have fun with it, right? I mean, true. So I mean, hell, we all did. So, um, that's not it. That's not it. If I ever hear anybody say a shablam or a death drop, you're getting dropped. Like, I think Preston. For real. Preston has said it. Said it so. Said it the best way possible, and it was it was actually funny. It was one time we were so we were in. Colorado for murmuration. Yep. We were driving somewhere and we were passing by a cemetery or something like that. And Preston's just, we're just sitting there kind of just like looking out the window and like, you know, pretending we're in a music video and some shit. Mm-hmm. And he just says, as I don't, do. yeah, as we do. And he just sits there and he's like, you know, the only time you should ever call a dip a death drop is if you're dipping to your grave. And I was like, yo. <laughs> I sat there, I was like, Wait a, you might just did something there. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him too, just staring out the window, all pensive and shit. <laughs> For real, and chin resting on his on his hand, just you know. <laughs> and for real and then we just both look at each other wide-eyed just being like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> i just said some shit no facts and so that's oh. i always say that whenever i'm teaching now i'm like I, I will always be like don't you ever if i ever hear any of you saying it calling it a shablam or a death drop outside of this classroom after i just told y'all that that was wrong and i've got multiple sources to tell y'all that Saying it's a shablam or a death drop is wrong. Mm. Rounds. You're getting mm. rounds from me. Yep. You're going to take that L. Facts. Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. Mm. Mm. Tommy anyway. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Shablam for me. Shablam for me. Shabla- Shut the hell up. Shut up. The fact that you've worked with numerous people who have been part of ball culture and you still had the nerve to say, shablam for me, shablam, like dip for me, dip for me. That would have sounded so much better. Okay, let me not. Let me go ahead and take a sip because. All right, breathe, breathe, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get heated. I can feel it. Um, So back to back to what we were talking about before the break. Um, You identify as pansexual, which is a term that a lot of people might be familiar with and passing, but maybe not understand the way they think that they do. So mm-hmm. for yourself, how do you define, how do you define that term? So pansexual to me is, I don't give a fuck what you are or, or I don't, I don't give a fuck. I really don't. What I care about is the connection that we have. So mm. I, it doesn't matter if it's a cisgendered man or a cisgendered woman or a trans man or a trans woman or non-binary i don't give a fuck i really don't <laughs> like, yeah I, no the, fucks given no fucks given and i think that um for me it, it truly is just the idea of connecting with someone regardless of how they want to identify not i don't i take mm-hmm. that back not how they want to identify but how, how they do yeah like yeah. 
like how they they live their life and and things like that. Now, obviously, if you're a racist bigot, you can get the fuck out of my face. But like, I don't I don't really I don't care what you look like, really, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like I'm I'm here for you. I don't. And I'm going to be here for that journey regardless, because that's what I want. If I'm if I want you, if I uh, let me take this, let me take that back. If I want to experience you, mm-hmm. that means I'm wanting to experience the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the tragic, the the blissful, the 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 highs and the lows. The whole package. Of, uh, the whole package. I don't care what that package looks like. I really don't. Mm. So that's how I kind of view that. But I dig it. That's a beautiful sentiment. I um. I am still learning about all the different like communities that I wouldn't say have been springing up because they've always been there. It's just whether or not we, you know, have, have noticed or heard them, you know, uh, I myself belong to, um, um, I'm polyamorous. So that, yeah, I mean, that for me is, it's a very serious thing. It's, it's, um, it's a part of who I am. It's, it's um, more than just a lifestyle, et cetera. And it's, it's so strange because a lot of people have these ideas about what it is and the term itself can mean so many things. And there's so many different, um, you know, it's an umbrella term for, you know, eth- you know, uh, under ethical non-monogamy. So you've got polyamory, you've got relationship anarchy, you've got, um, Oh God, polyfidelity, et cetera, all this stuff. But essentially, you know, I believe in loving connections with more than one person. Right. Yeah. And that's very serious to me. And I see it now thrown about in television and in movies and in popular culture as a trend, you know, as something that, Oh, it's, it's kind of cool. It's edgy. It's what the young kids are doing. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, fuck yourselves first and foremost. Cause this is, this is my life, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm starting to notice a lot more, uh, media talk about, uh, pansexuality as well. So I, I wonder if you have any of those moments yourself where you see like, because when for me, usually when I see a poly uh, character, they're usually some sort of sexual deviant. Uh, there's some sort of like shiftiness about them. They're manipulative. Like Spike Lee, he redid "She's Got to Have It" from the film into a show, and he called the main like the the main character describes herself as pansexual polyamorous mm-hmm. when really most of the time she's a manipulative bitch, you know, mm. like, so I wonder if you have any of those moments where, because we're seeing so much more exposure to pansexual characters, if you ever feel like it's, it's just kind of um, fodder for entertainment. No. Yeah. 100%. I feel like with most media, it's, they want to hop on those want those things that are trending when really it's not necessarily a trend. It's just y'all are listening now, but it's, yeah. we've been here. Um, yeah. So, and, and I, I think I can relate it to kind of ball culture because, you know, there is like pose there's legendary that just like had its season finale mm-hmm. and, and seeing where there's really good, like pose, I think does a really good, good, they depict the culture in a, a really good way with giving in a good amount of education, but mm-hmm. also those really like real life situations, 100%. Yeah. 
Um, and I haven't really seen um, a lot of other shows do that. And mm-hmm. so, but since Pose came out, it's been kind of like, okay, so now all these other shows kind of want to have those types of characters and they just fall so short of, mm. of really giving a good representation of what that is. Now, it there are people who are pansexual who are want to be considered sexually deviant but like for me i don't have sex like i Mm. like i have sex but like i will be very honest i've had sex with two people in my life Mm. and i'm currently not having i'm not sexually active currently so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that's not that's not i don't like that's dope but i don't relate to that character you yeah, know, kind of those. It's kind of like those situations. So it's just like it, it becomes one of those things where it's like, okay, great. There is some form of representation, but again, comes back to the intention versus impact. The impact of that character, nah, nah, we ain't, we ain't doing that. But I understand yeah. the intention. But they need to do better. <laughs> Thanks for trying, but y'all missed the fucking mark. Exactly. So now that y'all know better, go back and do better. Yeah. And that's the that second part is almost never the case, which is really disappointing. But at the same time, like, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? 10, yeah. 20 years, like what our, our zeitgeist is going to look like, what our, our cultural understanding is going to be of these things. So, yeah. Um, and I've also had like partners uh, past and present that uh, identify as bisexual, mostly, uh, you know, some, some uh, form of queer. And there's this stigma um, that I, I've run into a lot um, in dating bisexual women where there, there's this, uh, the stigma against them from both sides, from both uh, male and female partners, um, the bisexuals are just greedy. You can't trust them. If, if, if they're dating a lesbian, then the lesbian is like, oh, well, you're just going to leave me for a man or the man is just trying to finagle a threesome or some sort of shit like that. You know, and it, it seems to be the, the, the story everywhere that like they kind of like get kicked out of the discussion a lot of times when it comes to um, being treated like human beings. So I wonder if. Because I've heard a lot, you know, recently about pansexuality being like, oh, they're just fancy bisexuals, etc. So I'm wondering if there's that that same form of stigma that follows uh, being pan. Oh, yeah, I've I've been a part of conversations where I have opened up because before for the longest time I used to identify as a bisexual 100 Mm percent. It wasn't until I, you know, really started going into ball culture and realizing things about myself <laughs> that I now understand that I'm, I'm, I'm actually pansexual, but being like, even before when I was identifying as, as a bisexual, being in conversations like that, where I, I don't want to say that I was being dismissed, but mm. it was definitely more for entertainment versus education. Mm. It was definitely one of those moments where I was like, Hmm. Okay. Noted. Noted 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 kind of thing um and so like i'm 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 all for entertainment entertaining conversations i mean Mm. i don't know if you were there for that one 
during murmuration where we were all sitting in the block and I was telling stories of my sex escapades. Oh, I think <laughs> I missed that one. I definitely would have remembered. Okay. Well, I'm all about sex escapades. It was, I mean, I, I will not repeat it in this conversation because and that's I, your choice. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, totally cool. But it was definitely like one of those things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fine talking about my, my experiences and things like that. Mm. Um, but putting that like when I start those conversations with like oh yeah like I'm I'm, I'm bisexual and or I'm now and now I'm pansexual um mm-hmm. it's I've noticed that people will already you can kind of start to see in their heads the preconceived notions that are coming forward and and for them they're now going to be viewing what I say in a particular lens mm, yeah and it's just kind of like all right, I'm not going to continue this. I'm just going to just go ahead and divert the conversation because I can already see. And maybe maybe that's my fault that I'm not giving them that opportunity. But some, sometimes I just don't have the capacity. I really well, don't. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it's got to be after you've had these discussions a few times, you know, like if I hear one more motherfucker call what I do polygamy, I'm a snap next, right? Like, Yeah, it, we, it literally is one of those moments of just like, yeah. if I see what, if I'm someone, if somebody sits there and be like, Oh, you just don't know what you want. And it's just like, Oh, they say that shit to me too. Oh my God. That is, Mm. Oh my God. It's Mm. mad and annoying, but it's fuck you very much. But And I've noticed too, cause even with like, when I'm speaking, like, and I, I, I'll be honest, I don't really like talk to people. Like I don't date. I don't like put my best foot forward in those situations. Like I recently, recently just downloaded a dating app because I was like, all right, well, I mean, fuck it. Let me not, like, let's just try this out. And especially, like, because recently I I finally ended a, a relationship. And it's not a romantic relationship, but I ended a relationship that I realized I was using as a crutch for moments mm. that I, moments when I was lonely. Mm. Instead of me sitting there and sitting with my own shit and unpacking that, I would just be like, yo, what you doing? Yeah. And then, you know... guilty yeah and so but this person is not a good person in my life he's like this person was not a good person for me we had Mm. our history and i will never discredit the history that i had with this person nor should you yeah but that does not mean i need to keep a present and a future with you like no like Mm. after realizing a lot of like realizing some shit i was like yeah, this is not working for me. And so, but it was truly all that it was, was sexual. It was a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes, yes, we would hang out and talk and, and like, I would try to be the friend, like the friend mm. and, and be friends. And, and I would, and I would say that there were moments in time where our dynamic, what called for being friends. Yeah. But if I'm looking at the grand scheme of things, it was a sexual relationship. Like, yeah. <laughs> If this person hears this podcast, sorry, bro, but I just call a spade. Hey, she, she ain't call you out by name. That's yeah, good. I ain't calling you out by name, but let's call a spade a spade here. And so, yeah. but, but yeah, but I, so I haven't dated, like, I think I went on my first date, but it was, even that it was still a friend date, but it was like my first date that I had been on in almost three years. And it was like back in like December or like November, December. And I was like, yeah. the first date that I've been on, I was like damn, bitch, you need to get the hell out more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, thank God we now have all this time to contemplate and and consider 
what our right path is. Yeah, 100%. And that's like where I just, I hate when I like, kind of going back to like the, when you have conversations with people that it's almost kind of like, I've noticed one or two things in my experience. Either mm-hmm. some people see that as like an opportunity mm-hmm. in the yep. sense of like, oh, so like you get down because of those preconceived notions or I've seen people step back from me because they find the idea and I want to say in their head it's an an idea it's not a lifestyle for them it's not like this is this is how I live but for them it's an idea because they don't live the life I live of course yeah absolutely but it's the idea of that you know being with someone who or or getting close to someone who is pansexual and it loves everybody. Well, not everybody, but like is willing to has the capacity. Yes. Has the capacity to do so is almost too daunting for them. And so they kind of like limit their capacity with me, which you know what? That's all right. That's your choice. But I've noticed that kind of with those in the conversations that I've had, um, but I've had really great conversations too. I don't want to like sit there and say this is the only situations that I've had when I've ever brought up the conversation or it's been brought up in conversation. I've had really great conversations with, with people regarding that and, and seeing that they want to understand me more so they can experience me as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's good. It's, it's natural. It's uh, one of our, innate drives and needs is to be understood, you know, especially mm-hmm. by people who we care about. And, you know, it's been like, I have people in my life who I love very dearly, right. Who look at me like I'm a fucking alien when I talk about my love life, you know, <laughs> and it's really, it, it sucks. It's disappointing. Like I can't talk to people like some of the closest people in my life about this stuff, you know, because they will not understand it. They don't want to understand it. They don't want to hear it. You know, they, they have this image of who I am and they want to keep that as pristine as possible because that's who they can relate to. Yeah. 100. You know? Like it's, it's crazy. You say that because like, even like I've told my, my mom and dad numerous times that I'm bisexual or that I've recently told them that I'm pansexual. And my mom was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Oh, these fancy kids. <laughs> Right. But, but it's funny, like, this is where I'm, I am very, very blessed that I have a, a intermediate family that has had these conversations before. Yeah. Um, Cause the thing is like, so I have four siblings and one of them is straight. <laughs> like uh, my, nice. my, my older. So far as we know. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I'm, I would think they are because they're... I'm playing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to, like, call them after and be like, can we talk? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, I... Like, two out of my three siblings are are gay. I'm pansexual. Mm. And so it's not like this ain't my parents' first time down the rodeo when it comes yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. having these conversations. But, but again, they only kind of know one thing and so having to go in and have the conversation with them it is like I kind of see what you mean where it's like they kind of have this like image of you and and it's just like all right well we're gonna have to break that down 
um, let's let's just draw a new image. <laughs> let's, let's let's look at this one. This this image is nice. <laughs> this is this is more correct. We understand this. Yes, exactly. So since I'm understand, let's let's have you understand this real quick. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. but my parents are cool about it though. They're hella chill. So that's good. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you very much for being very candid and, and open about that. I know it's not always easy. It takes a long time for a lot of people to get to that place of being able to talk about it comfortably with another person in a room by themselves, let alone having it on a uh, podcast. So I just want to take a second to acknowledge that. Thank um, you. Yeah. Acknowledge you on your journey. <laughs> um there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about uh, that may be a little bit difficult, but it's something that it's a discussion that I think we as a community need to keep having. Um, and we started having before the the pandemic hit and then the pandemic kind of, um, and then of course uh, the, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery that, you know, a lot of things um, took center stage needed. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely necessary, but yeah. Um, I'm speaking about uh, sexual predation, um, sexual predators in the dance scene. Ooh! <laughs> Let me go ahead and fill this drink mm-hmm. up real quick. Yes, yes, ma'am, please do. Mm. Um, and I've, I've brought this up in a couple of the previous episodes. I've talked about it uh, most notably with Nubian Nene uh, in her episode, episode eight. But... Um, yeah, this this has been a thing for a long time, and it's something that our community in the street dance world, the modern street dance world, have not really seen much, uh, not seen a lot of discussion. Um, in the in the vintage street dance world, which is what I would, which is my term for Lindy Hop, vernacular jazz, uh, tap, Charleston, um, uh, Balboa, etc they've been having this conversation for the better part of this last decade. You know, they've had a lot of uh, prominent dancers in their scene. It turns out they've, they've raped students. They've um, groomed students, children, etc., And just done a lot of despicable things, used their power as leverage um, towards more vulnerable women in their community. And the the swing scene has been doing a good job of ha- keeping that that those conversations going our scene meanwhile we started uh before the pandemic hit we started with wolf mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was the the first time to my memory and maybe you know maybe there's a bunch of other discussions that i missed but i've been consciously looking out for it for years and the th- the situation with wolf which again, I've talked about, but real quick, um, he is a dancer in the New York scene. He's a popper. Um, and he, you know, made women feel unsafe in the scene if they didn't want, if they didn't return his, uh, sexual, uh, advances, he groomed, uh, students, um, to, to take advantage of them. And he tried, uh, he, he tried, um, to sleep with a 13 year old girl, which is how this whole thing came out because she took her, her phone to her mom, gave it the phone to her mom and her mom pretended to be her, had this whole discussion with Wolf, took screenshots and receipts and, um, you know, put them on blast rightfully. So, yeah. So I remember a, few months ago, you made a post about a predator that had come to the Utah dance scene and how 
you and your community members uh, dealt with that. And I, I thought it was a really wonderful story. And I was hoping that you could share what this was um, with the, the listeners at home. Yeah. Um, so it's a long story. Um, this kind of happened in a span of maybe three months. So, um, and it all actually started with the, the, the wolf guy. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it start. I, I laugh because this all started because of a petty Instagram story post that I made. Mm-hmm. And it was when the, the mother had that anonymous, uh, Instagram out the wolf, wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Um, and she was like, you know, there's something on our story of just like, you know, you need to, um, we need to like out these predators. We need to like talk about it or like, is there predators? Is this happening in other scenes? And I made a petty post of like, I can name a few people in Utah. I was not referring to this person. Um, Oh no. I was referring to another person Mm -hmm. who had, has already been dealt with. Um, Good. And it just, that, that's how it started. And it was women coming to me in my DMs and another person's DMs by the name of Ashley Velos. She's a, she's a dancer here in, in, in Utah. And she's been in the scene for a hot ass minute. Like mm. that's another person that I, going back to a way, way early part of the conversation, another person that inspires me. Um, and just, Finding out for, at first it was, you know, this person made this woman feel uncomfortable and uh-huh. unwanted advances. Then it came to sexual assault. That one woman came out and told uh, Ashley that she was sexually assaulted by this person. Oh, um, damn. And, um, So then me and the, and Ashley started kind of figuring out like, okay, so what the fuck do we do? Because it was, it, it was, first it was two, then it was four, then it was six, then it was 10. Then Jesus. It, it got to a point where I want to say there was 15 plus women who said that in, in the spectrum of this person made me feel uncomfortable due to his advances to I was sexually assaulted Mm. so first we started telling the studios in the area well um ashley did started telling studios in the area like you you need to keep this guy away because he's doing this shit and um some listened some didn't Mm -hmm. and then you know it started to divide the scene because some people were like well did he like, what did he do? Where's the proof? Where's, you know, if I'm going to defend my friend until, you know, I see something or, you know, and quick, quick side note, quick side note. Um, and I have to say this because I've spent some time volunteering, um, to, to work with, uh, survivors of assault. And if this is you, if this is, if you're listening to this and you identify with this, well, what about due process and evidence and this and that? And I need to, you know, we need to be logical and wait for proof, right? And, and witnesses, right? Um, 
Most likely you are not going to get that. And the reason is because more times than not, the only, only, only witness to an assault or abusive behavior is the, the survivor of that experience. Yep. And that is, that is by design. Mm -hmm. Predators design it that way. And they also, not only do they groom their victims, they groom their supporters. So if you're one of those people that will not listen to survivors, take a second, please, and acknowledge that you might have been groomed yourself. Yep. 100%. And it was... So yeah, there was a lot of divide that was happening and just kind of hush-hush talking. There was no, like, outwardly post made or anything about this particular person. Mm. Then said person... um, made an Instagram story post of like an IG video of the allegations, which when you break down that video, it's gone now, but when you break down that video, it is clear, clear tactics of a covert narcissist. I'm not going to dive into what a covert narcissist is because if that's the case, we're going to be here for another hour. Look it up, y'all. Look it up. Google it. Google it. Covert narcissist. And then... At the beginning, this was women who were 18 plus. Oh, no. Then it started to get down where, oh, you've tried talking to underage girls. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I personally saw screenshots of, of, of one. Um, and that's kind of where we were like, no, we got we to gotta do more. And then the a mom of another underage girl came out and was getting on his ass. Like, we're talking, there's things that I can't fully dive into because of certain legalities. Yeah. Um, and there are, there is a, currently an active case um, going on. Yeah. But another victim came out. And so... We found out that this person was trying to have someone underage come and sleep over their house so they could teach them the dance style that they were doing. I don't want to say the dance style because obviously I don't want it to, I don't want to have implication of this dance style. Um, but this person was a well-known per- like teacher here and in the very short time that they've been in Utah, they only had only been in Utah for like three something years. Um, but they did a lot as far as like helping cultivate the, the scene here. Uh-huh. And so he was trying to convince this underage girl to come and sleep over. And he would take her to school the next day and saying that he could teach her how to do this particular style. So he was using his style and his power and his privilege of being a teacher to lure women and underage girls for his, whatever his, whatever he wanted. And so long story short, some people came out, you know, this it's, it's hard to, to talk about sometimes because it's just like, I remember the feelings that I had, but Pretty much, like, the 
the boom that happened. Mm. It all happened on a weekend. So by this time, a lot of people had found out about the case. They had found out that he has been, he had been talking to underage girls and um, more and more women were starting to come out and being like, yep, he's done this. Or he tried to talk to me this way, or, you know, here's this. And so a few people from Cali came out to Utah who originally kind of took this person under their wing and called them out, called them out in front of the entire dance community. And there was going to be a session the next day. Next day happens. The sessions there, literally almost every single person in the Utah dance community community was there except for him. And y'all, y'all invited him, correct? He got called out. Like he wasn't at the event when he got called out, but he, but it was like, we know some of the people that you live with are here. Tell your boy to come if, yeah. this, if this shit ain't true, you know, pretty much. And so what happened is, I don't know how this happened, but um, a, two of the victims from him were there. One was an underage girl. One was the one was one that, you know, they said they, he sexually assaulted them. Yeah. They ended up being there. And it just became a really weird but powerful moment because he didn't show up for two hours, right? But all of his – so his friends and his roommates who were there, they got packed out from from the people who came from Cali. They got packed out. And it was, like, emotional. And then, like – so, but this is where dance comes into play as far as being powerful and, and being a form of protest. People who started be, who then became who were affected by this person started to dance in front of these people who were supporting this person in a sense, um, mm-hmm. and they had to sit there and see that pain. They had to sit there and see what this person went through by the way that they were dancing, and mm-hmm. then it became a moment of when you know it stopped because one of the victims had danced, stopped, and then she finally just came out with it and said what happened to her. And she was like, I'm not going, I, I'm, I'm not saying this to, to, to be mean or to be spiteful or to be hurtful. I'm saying this because I don't want to be, there's too many, there's too many who have been in this situation and I don't want to, I don't want my silence to be that, you know, to allow this to keep happening. Like it needs to stop. And so finally he, he shows up. And he's not allowed in the building because think about it. The entire dance scene is there. There's probably, I want to say there was at least anywhere between 50 to 100 people in this studio. Damn. Ready. Ready to fight. Yeah. Ready. Because you hear that. You, you hear those stories because also the, one of the victims who was underage started talking. You hear that? You ain't going to sit there and be calm. You ain't going to be calm for nothing. You gonna, you'll be ready to fight somebody. I want to kill him right now. Yeah, like you'll be ready to hurt somebody. Yeah. And so they told him he couldn't come in um, because the, since the mom was there for the one who was underage, you know, she's like, please, like, don't let him in. Like, I, I understand, like, everybody's mad, but this is not going to be good. You know, this is just going to kind of help him, like. Let's let the legal system do what they need to do, which, I mean, legal shit's never really done shit, but, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> like, they haven't done shit, but at the end of the day, we understood. We were, so out of the respect for the victims who were there and the mom, like, we, no, we didn't let them in. 
So he got kicked out of the, the place that he was staying, and no one has seen him since. But apparently there's a, a certain dancers throughout the the West Coast and Pacific North and, and whatnot that still apparently fuck with this person. But from what we've he, he hasn't shown up since. And I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, there's been, like, a few sightings of him since. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as dance community, no. And it was kind of what happened, too, was... So I threw an event that was similar to Digs Deeper. Uh Um, I think literally the week after this moment happened, right? And the reason why I say it was similar to Digs Deeper because it, you know, I, I got a bunch of dancers from the community to, you know, freestyle to a song of their choice. Um, I also had poets there, like spoken word artists there. Um, I didn't have like a community discussion. Um, but I loved, I loved what Digs Deeper did in the sense of bringing communities together. Mm-hmm. And I, this had already been planned like two months in advance, but it just so happened it fell the week after everything popped off. Mm-hmm. And that, that event was really a moment where you saw that the community was here, like, like you just, it was one of those things where you kind of like looked around and you're like, all right, we're going to get through this. We're going to move, move past this. Um, but as far as this person goes, I know way they are still working. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know where they live. I don't care to know where they live. If I see this person, I really don't know how I'm going to react. No Um, one could know. Yeah. I really don't know how I would react, but, um, the entire, there's things that I know I'd messed up on as far as the whole situation goes. I could have handled certain situations, certain conversations a lot better um, in that moment. But my biggest thing was that I've been a victim of rape and sexual assault. Mm. So if I could be the person that I wish I had for these women when I had that happen to me, yeah, that's my goal really at the end of the day. And, you know, sometimes I let my emotions get the best of me and popped off when I probably shouldn't have. Um, and I've, you know, I've, so had... you're, so, so you're saying that you're a human. Yes, exactly. All I, right. You know, I'm, I'm human. And, and that's like moments where, especially since Miss Rona has been, you know, running rampant, that's one of the situations where I've had to analyze it over and over and over and over again, because, you know, there are certain feelings that I have that are not resolved. Um, but, and certain things that I need to get closure from f- with th- throughout the whole situation. But again, this situation wasn't a long time ago. This literally it's, we're in July. The, the boom of like kind of the climax of the situation happened in February. So it's only been like a couple of months. Yeah. So I know that it's just like a, just a journey for me and, and for everybody who was involved um, at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, he ain't, he ain't around no more as far as the dance community goes. And I'll be damned if he tries to, and I, and I, and I say that with my full fucking chest, I'll be Mm. damned if this person wants to try to come around or, or if I'm at an event and I see this person, just know that I see you and I don't honor 
who you are as a person and what you do. <clears throat> and I'm gonna make sure people are aware of that when you try to act funny. Goddamn right. So. Well, that, um, yeah, that was really powerful. I, I want to take a second and thank you for, um, for, for taking us on that journey. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will wrap up uh, this episode. And yeah, I definitely need another drink after that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Let me go ahead and pour a drink real quick. All right. See y'all in a second. And we are back with Jasmine Pike, a.k.a. CC99, a.k.a. the Cheshire Cat, a.k.a. person who just fucked my shit up on this podcast. God. <laughs> uh, we drink to remember, we drink to forget. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, and also, I, I definitely want to take a second to acknowledge like what it must take to um, talk about being a survivor yourself. Uh, like, that's... That's really powerful shit, and I don't want to gloss over that. So, you know, thank you. No, I, I appreciate it. I think that, you know, with these conversations, like, it's hard, but at the same time, I think we do need to normalize them t- so that way we can stop it at the end yeah. of the day. You know, like, it's like with the Me Too movement, like, where I saw so many people that I knew who had moments like that happen and not realizing it like you know it's almost kind of one of those things where it's just like when you are are a victim or or a survivor of of situations like that you feel like you're the only one or you feel like you are one of few you know Mm. um Mm. and not a lot of people will be able to understand that so seeing how many people around me that have was sad sad like i i it it really was like i felt some shit seeing some certain people that i was just like no damn but it it's helped normalize the conversation so that way we can educate ourselves better to to stop it yeah and i it's for me coming from the angle of like being not at the tippy top of the privilege ladder, but pretty fucking far up. Like I, it took a long time for me to wake up to how common it is. It took a, like it took an embarrassingly long amount of time. And I remember when I was younger, when I was like 21, I, one of my favorite get to know you questions was, uh, I mean, to guys and to girls, it's like, oh, hey, what's the worst sex you've ever had, right? And when I say this to a guy, usually it'd be some stupid fucking frat boy escapade, right? Yeah. Um, and laughs and chuckles would be had by all and very ribald and all this shit. And then, yeah, sometimes I'd get that from women. But then, like, a woman stopped and she looked at me and she's like, yeah, I was raped. And I was like, oh, fuck. You know, like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry, you know? Yeah. Um, because I just didn't didn't cross my mind because I lived in a fucking fantasy world. Um, <laughs> and and then uh, that I'm um, to my shame, to my everlasting shame. That was not the last time I asked that question to a woman. I thought that was a one off. That's how ignorant I was. 
And then it happened again. You know, the woman, a, a woman said the same thing to me. And I was like, Oh fuck. You know, and that it, it fast forward over a decade later, you know, I've talked to, uh, partners uh exes family members that are very dear and close to me good friends um and you know when the when the kavanaugh thing happened like uh Mm -hmm. somebody in my immediate family told me that like she had no doubt that he had done those things because the guy that assaulted her had the same behavior You know, and I I didn't even know she was a survivor herself. I spent my entire life with this person and had no idea, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, and it's, it's just this thing. It's, it's fucking pervasive and it's not just, you know, it's, it's in every community. Um, Not just uh, the, the swing dance community, not even just our, our modern street dance community. It's, it's fucking everywhere. Yeah. And it's just like, seeing it like 2020 has truly been the year of exposure but it's Mm. like i think you say it best like sometimes it just takes an embarrassingly long time to realize you know what's going on around you and it's 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 shitty once you realize that it's totally shitty it's and i'm not taking away that moment that disgusting aha moment of like oh oh god like this is this happened to more than i expected but it's great to have that because then now you can sit there and be like okay so what am i going to do about it like, yeah um xavier one of the so one of your guests that you had like a, a few weeks ago uh shout out to xavier yes we ended up um having like a facetime call and we were talking about certain things like we were talking about this particular topic and mm-hmm. it was one and like he had asked me, you know, what can I do to help or, or in your perspective, in your opinion, wh- like, what do you think I could do to help? That's my dude right there. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, honestly, this, this moment right now where we're having the conversation and normalizing the conversation, it, it, I truly believe that it'll become one of those moments where, because we are normalizing, normalizing the conversation, we will also normalize the 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 call it the call out in a sense yeah. of like you know you see an instance of a guy being disrespectful to a woman and it's just like yo the fuck you doing like what the yeah. fuck are you like what the fuck are you doing like yo back no. the fuck up yeah exactly and not having it be like some moment or like an event like it's just gonna be like hey yo back the fuck up like you know you don't do that and this is why you don't do that. And being like, okay, you know what? You're right. My bad. Like I'm going to go ahead and now change my behavior so I can be better for myself and for the people around me. Yeah. And I really do believe that does one of the things to start that is to have the conversations and normalize those conversations. I think that's why for me it over the years, it's gotten a lot better for me to open up about my own experience of being a victim of, of rape and sexual assault because I'm able to normalize that conversation for myself before, like, honestly, you would have asked me that question or like try to have a conversation with me like a couple of years ago. And it would like be like me, like, um, tapping my foot or like, you know, you could feel the nervousness just 
oozing out of you're my, in, my body. Your embodied trauma. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, it wasn't, I, again, <laughs> huge shout out to Preston because he's been really helpful in, in me being able to be okay to communicate these things because mm-hmm. of just how open he is and willing to hear somebody's experience and, and relate to it in some shape or form, whether it's relating to a situation where something similar happened or relating to the feeling that I I've had um, or just something where it, it, he's open to that. And so, um, yeah, it's just really a big thing for me is just normalizing that conversation. Like now I can sit there and have the same tone and have the same energy output Mm -hmm. talking about it in the same sense that I'm able to talk about dance and talk about things that I like and things that I like my pastimes and my hobbies and all this shit. So that's huge. That's huge. And, and, but it's, it's taken a time and I know, and this is the thing, this is not going to be a get, get cured fast or a, you know, a fast turnaround time. It's going to take time. It, it's yeah. it's going to, but I would much rather be putting that work in to do so, so that way eventually I can see the fruit of my labors. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is that is amazing, and again, it is just an honor to have this conversation with you and to acknowledge that all the fucking work you've had to do to get to this point. God damn, <laughs> god damn, lady. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like it's it's been a journey, and it's still going to be mm. a journey. Like I even just figuring out now, like the idea of anti racism and decolonization within myself mm. and understanding that even as a black woman mm-hmm. I'm, i so and i say this you know because it just depends on how people feel about it i mean i'm mixed i'm half black half white um obviously when i go out into the world and my view is a black woman 100 percent. have yeah. i benefited though from being a light-skinned black woman 100 percent, and having yep. to figure out how i've benefited from it and what i can do to change that to where everybody gets the same benefit as me and mm-hmm. get the same opportunities as me and, you know, equality and equity at the end of the day. And so even that, knowing that's going to be a lifelong journey of mine, but hoping one day the work I'm putting in, I can see the fruit of my labor, whether it's my dance community or my circle of friends or my family or, mm-hmm the grand scale of the world, I know that I had some part in that and, and understanding that that's that. I don't care if it takes me a year, 10 years, 20, 50, 150. I don't care mm. in this life or the next life. If I still have, if I have to be working on it on the next life, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> God damn right. I'll raise my glass to that. Yep. I, I always, there's, I, and I think I, I think that way because there's, this video struck me so hard to the core. Like I cry every time I see it, but it's been, I don't remember what state it was, but there was a a black lives matter protest. And there was a woman, this, this older black woman, she was probably in her seventies or eighties on a walker, on a walker walking. And she's Mm -hmm. yelling, you know, black lives matter. And, you know, there's a group of young people kind of surrounding her, you know, keep asking her like, are you okay? Like, do you need anything? Um, and she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. 
Black Lives Matter. And she's sitting, hmm. and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, she has been fighting for this since I don't even know how long. You're telling me that somebody who is 70, 80 years old, who was probably going and probably doing the same civil rights movement walks and, and protests back in the day are having to do it now still? Yeah. You got me fucked up. Like, I, I'm not doing this for the future generations. I'm doing this work for the past ones, too. If I'm doing this for my future kids, which, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. Whoever but, knows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, if I'm doing this for, like, my future... So if I'm doing this for my future kids as far as, like, my dance babies or my Vogue babies or my ball babies, yeah. I'm doing this also for people who are, like, my mom and my grandma and my aunts and my great aunts and everybody who's come before me as well because they've had to sit here and fight for it for their lives, their whole lives in some mm. shape or form. And maybe across multiple lives. Yeah, exactly. So if I can make a chunk into that and, and see these changes actually be implemented for the long haul. So that way my future generations still are going to be putting in the work, but don't have to maybe put in as much work, but maybe put in work as far as like education goes versus mm -hmm. action that's what i want mm. i want to be able to ha have the future and generations be educated and learn from the actions that i've done and who can hope for more than that right i mean that's that's wonderful and i like it's crazy you talk about that old woman like my my uh my partner she um she recently did a deep dive this week on John Lewis because he just you know popped up on her feed like a quote of his popped up on her feed mm -hmm. and you know she learned all about like you know him as a young freedom writer how he's like the one of the only ones left um etc and 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 the words he had about when when uh president obama was elected etc and she just bawled her fucking eyes out you know cuz she's you know her her father's black and you know she's uh, spent a lot of time doing activism work as well and it, you know just this this moment of of disbelief that like what i'm trying to remember what she said to me in the moment she's like we ask we ask for so little don't kill us you know and even that seems to be too big an ask yeah yeah 100 percent. and it's just like i'm it, it almost makes you just want to sit there and be like Yo, we really are not asking for a whole lot here. No. Why are y'all fighting this? Why is why do you feel so powerful about the fact that, hey, can we have the same rights too? Or can we have the same amount of opportunities or, you know, things like that? Like I I've been cutting off so many fucking people from my <laughs> circle. Congratulations. Like, That's awesome. Like I, I and I don't care. I really don't care. Like it I take the moment to feel sad because obviously I put energy into that dynamic. Yeah. But you got me fucked up if you think that like I'm gonna sit there and think have you think that it's okay to be around me and to be around my energy knowing that you don't 
want me to succeed. You don't want me to have the same opportunities and the same benefits as you, even though I've put in the work as well. Maybe more mm. work. Mm-hmm. You got Probably me f- more. Yeah. You got me fucked up. <laughs> you got me fucked up. Block, delete, forget. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Blocker. Like, for real, facts. Like, I'm blocked. I'm blocking and I'm still blessed, bitch. Like, the fuck you gonna do? Like, <laughs> I'll protect my energy before I even dare try to even protect yours, bitch. I'm a, like, no, uh, uh, uh. Like, fuck your energy, especially if your energy taking me down. Fuck your energy. I'm protecting mine. <laughs> like, God bless. God bless. Amen. So, if we, um, because I'm sure. I could spend the rest of the day doing this and getting progressively more drunk and probably, <laughs> probably I joke about this a lot, but I fucking, you know, I busted into tears yesterday about this shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah I know poor, poor white guy. Right. Um, but if we can, if we can shift gears real quick, um, can you please describe to me a time when you felt truly powerful? Oh boy. Um, there's been many times. I should hope so. You're yeah. a powerful ass woman. <laughs> yeah. like, I should fucking hope so. <laughs> yeah, there's been many, many times where I have felt very powerful. I think one that sticks out to me um, is probably the event that I did back in February that was similar to, to Digs Deeper. Um, mm. So I called it Soul Showcase, um, where it was a moment where people could bear their souls and, and just have that moment, you know, especially in light of things going on at the time in the, in the community. Yeah. And I, my parents were there, which was like super fucking dope. Like I... And maybe you can relate to this too as a dancer. So like, you know, like when like you try to tell your parents or your family about like events you're doing and stuff, they're like, yeah, like that's amazing, but they don't show up. It's so, like, neat. A, yeah. And so a part of you is just kind of like, mm, all right, it's cool. <laughs> it's fine. Like, <laughs> but like I, for me, like, I don't, I don't mind it. Cause my, my parents are still working. Like most of the time when these events were happening, when my dad's was working, my dad works, like my dad is like, getting up there in age and he works six out of seven days a week. Like Damn, man. my, my, my dad is a hard working ass man. And then my mom, my mom's a hard working woman. She's got nine diseases and she still finds a way to try to work part time. And, and yeah, like I come from a very strong lineage, like 100%. Um, and so, yeah, like, some, some puzzle pieces just fell into place for me right now. Thank facts, you for that. Like, like, you know, and so I, um, I don't, I don't get mad or or hurt or upset when they don't make it to events because I get it. They tired. They, they, they need time for themselves. And I, I don't want to take that away from them, but there was, this event was just really special to me. And so I was like, Hey, I really would like it if y'all came out and, and they did. And, um, I had them Mm. sitting kind of like in the front, but like kind of off, off to the side and like seeing my so like I was I was like you know talking and I was like you know like keep these two chairs open because these are for my parents don't fucking sit on them yeah and seeing everybody like clap because they were so hyped that like my parents were there Aww. like 
and then seeing my my parents faces like as like the event was going on throughout the night and seeing like this is my life like this is like I talk about dance with them all the time and they see it from like my Instagram and 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 things like that but for them to actually see it like with their own eyes like no this is what I do this is my family this is my community and I don't know this is the life the life you built for yourself exactly and and seeing all the people who are a part of the community and that i was able to have a moment where i could bring everybody together and seeing how Mm. entertained my parents were that Mm. for me like is probably the most recent powerful moment i've had where my parents could see the fruit of my labor because you know all the times i had been to sessions all the times i had been practicing talking to people, getting the courage to talk to people, getting the courage to speak up and speak out. Like all was in that moment, you know? I didn't get this moment to where all, like this, this amount of people in the community was just because like they was bored one day and they wanted to check out this event. No, it was <laughs> like, people were excited. People were, were like, this is so needed right now in our community. Yeah. And so to have like one aspect of my life meet another in such a powerful moment was like I think like that night I like I went home and I just cried I was crying because I but like happy tears and shit so I was like hell yeah I was like my family had to see like this and like oh my god that was so great and Uh, like it was just like oh my god they love me like literally though I was like oh my god my emotions like But, like, that's probably the most recent. But I've had many, many powerful moments where I just sit there and I'm just, like, it's like a checkpoint conversation that I have with myself being, like, damn, you really put in the work for this. Go ahead. Take this moment in real quick and take this moment for what it is and celebrate it because, you know, we're going to be going back to work and putting the work in, you know, once you've had this moment. Like, yeah. You have your celebration and then you join the great fight again. Exactly. Exactly. And I just like, I believe that 100%. I believe in having those checkpoints with myself, not even for the, the good, but the bad as well. Being like, bitch, the fuck you just, you really thought, you really thought mm. that was going to be it. And then you, mm-hmm. you did that. Okay. All right. So we need to just, uh, let's unpack some shit real quick. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, I wish more people would do that. Especially since, yeah, again, you're singing my fucking heart song with this shit. Like, that's been, <laughs> that's been the last three and a half months of my life. Like, ugh. Um, but yeah, thank you. That's, that's fucking beautiful. That is such a wonderful, like, I'm tempted to end the, the discussion on that because I don't think there's any topping, topping it, but I'm also fucking curious. So here is what we're going to do. <laughs> my final question, since you've had, roughly more than an hour to to kick it and get liquored up um i'll explain it like this when i listen to interview podcasts or just you know see interviews uh on 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 the tv and like the interviewer will just give a question out that i'm just like damn like that that's wow you know and I often think about like while the 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 subject of the interview is is giving their answer, I often think about like man i how how would I answer this like how would i 
Mm, I'd, I'd love to have somebody ask me this question. So my question for you is, what is a question that you have always wanted to be asked? Oh, let me go ahead and just. Uh... You can take your time with this. Like, I'll edit the shit out of it if necessary. <laughs> like, we're, the, we're, we're not under any real ticking clock here. But what's something you've always wanted to be asked? Um, hold on. Let me take a sip real quick. Um, trying to think. I think one thing that I have always wanted somebody to ask me is define what unconditional love means to you. Oh, that's fucking good. <laughs> I, All I, right, sister, hit me. Oh, fuck. I have to answer it? Shit. Um. <laughs> yeah, of course. What the hell? Did you think? <laughs> Oh, come on. I have to give you more credit than that, Jasmine. Come on. I mean, I probably should have (laughs) figured that. But um, unconditional love for me um, is, I think I've kind of explained it a little bit earlier uh, when talking about, like, when I'm trying to connect with someone, you know, being pansexual, Uh is experience. I don't, I do not believe in possessing someone when I'm Mm. sitting here and, and I hear people talk about like, Oh, this is my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my person. Like it's no, it's, it's not that for me of like, you know, you're mine. It's the idea of the, the idea and the feeling of experiencing someone for who they are and where they're going to be at and, and, and where they're planning to go in their journey. And that does mean the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the highs and the lows. And truly uh, having that understanding of like, I'm with you. And I mean that in the sense of I'm with you, whether it's the sidelines and you're mm. out in that field by yourself because you have to tackle these hurdles on your own. Yeah. Or I'm right next to you on the field ready to tackle these bitches with you like it's that it's the experience and understanding that people are meant to be experienced and not owned yeah and because they're not meant to be owned you relinquish the possession of that human being because they're not yours they're not yours and so because yeah. you relinquish that, it opens up so many aspects as far as being spiritually connected, emotionally, physically, romantically, platonically, you know, f- like family. It's just, it's, there's just so much that comes involved with being unconditionally in love and condition- unconditionally loving someone. Yeah. That's um, that's a tenant actually of of what I consider true polyamory is that letting go of that that possessiveness, and it's hard to unlearn, you know. Yeah. It's you know even even though I know in my heart I'm not monogamous, like I still have that you know. There's still times in my life where that that possessiveness will pop up, um, 
un, unbidden and unwelcome. And long-term, long-term listeners of the show will know that, you know, I'm, I've been dealing for a few months with the after effects of a breakup. And I believe that possessiveness came into play um, and what, it's what ultimately contributed to the end. And, you know, it's, it's not something that was intentional. It was one of those things like I'd been going through so much shit, like really, you know, I was so invested in my partner's, you know, lives and the, the challenges they were dealing with that uh, everything's turned into chaos. And I started getting into this mind frame of like, I just need to fucking control something because like I need to I need to make everything stop for a second so I can breathe. And I think one of my partners interpreted that in energy as something other than, you know, yeah. And our communication at that point had broken down. So it was really, there was no way of explaining either side, her to me and, or me to her. So I suffered a very painful loss because of that. So now I spend my time like the, the, the months afterwards thinking about all the things where that, that, that popped up and then thinking about what I'm going to do in the future to address that really and, and heal from and, you know, and just do better as we've been talking about. So I really, 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 A, feel what you're saying when you talk about that unconditional love. And B, like, you know, like thinking about how that applies to my own my own life and what I'm going to do from here. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, a it's a journey to, to get to that point. Because even though, like, I don't go right into a relationship thinking, I have unconditional love for you automatically at the gate <laughs> you know i do believe that it's yeah. something that needs to be built it, it you can't unconditionally love someone that you don't know 100 percent. and but that's like you know taking down that and relinquishing that possessiveness of it all just like has helped me really understand the idea of like i want to love you for you and i want to figure out what capacity that is and how that's going to look you know, for our dynamic and it's going to work for our dynamic. And so like, for me, like I, I, I haven't been in a romantic relationship with someone for fuck, like five years now, five ish, five, six years, I think. Wait, 20. We're going to just go and just say, um, cause <laughs> I can't clean number. number yeah. Yeah. Good half decade, you know. Yeah. And so I, I've had a lot. Of, I can't say that I haven't been in love since that. You know, I've been in love. You know, there's been one solid moment where I understood that I was in love with the person and I wanted mm -hmm. to build that romantic relationship with them. Obviously, I'm single. So, I mean, you know, that didn't really work out. But, um, hey, fucking good on you for trying though yeah and and i have been understanding just like you know the capacity is going to look different in all aspects as far as any relationship that i go go into yeah. but at least i can go into it understanding that the goal for me is to have that unconditional love with that person and mm -hmm. understand what that's gonna look like mm. So. I can get behind that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Jasmine, for taking the time to come on the show today and share so much with us. Yo, um, thank you. Like I, when you told me I was 
hype as hell when you asked me. <laughs> so I really appreciate you trusting me with with this moment and and just having a good ass conversation with some good ass drinks. Like. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, honestly, like when you said like, "Hey, say less." I've been listening to your podcast. I'm like. <laughs> Yo, that shit gets me. I get hype. I I was like, I will sit here like bubble bath and everything. Be like, I wonder if there's like, okay, let me go ahead and throw this on, or I'll be like, listen to it while I'm cooking, or like just like just something like where I'm like I'm able to like still pay attention, but like I can still kind of get some shit done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when yeah, and so like when you told me, I'm not even gonna lie, I got on my bed and I was like twerking a little bit. I was all like, Uh... like. Yo, Xavier said the same shit. I mean, he didn't, he didn't mention twerking, but he did say like, you know, something similar. So, I mean, it's an honor because like to, to be in the presence of, and know so many amazing artists um, is just the honor of my life. So if there, you know, when the, the, when the plague struck, I <laughs> had this moment where I was just like, yo, if I can, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Let's fucking do it. Let's let's build a platform, even if it's just a soapbox out on the corner, and we'll have really dope people get up on that box and and spit for for whoever's listening. So if you're listening, thank you very much, and I want to say thank you to my guest Jasmine Pike, aka CC99, aka CC007, aka the Cheshire Cat, um, <laughs> for coming through and and blessing us uh, with this discussion and. Um, uh, Jasmine, is there anything you want to leave the folks at home with? You know what? I think I've said enough at this point. So <laughs> just I hope people enjoy it and I hope people connect with it and fuck with your girl. Like, <laughs> hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> And also, uh, we're all going through hard times. Uh, as you can hear, she's in the middle of a quarantine. Her donation link will be in the show notes. So if you've got three bucks that you ain't using, like consider kicking it towards your girl please please <laughs> <laughs> all right so this uh, my guest today has been jasmine pike uh this is rob celtic signing off oh shit my bad i i did this last time i i'm so sorry to to dr rico i forgot to do the final toast <gasps> oh yeah my bad all right i caught myself this time <laughs> So uh, anyone who's got drinks left in the glasses, if you would please raise in the traditional toast to the end of the world. Mm. Right there. Mm. All right. So let's try this again. (laughs) (laughs) My guest has been Jasmine Pike. My name is Rob Celtic. Um, Thank you for listening. We will endure. We will grow. And we will carry on. God bless. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find his new album, Floating, on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash drinkingandance and donate for early episode releases, bonus episodes, personal shoutouts, and more. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to like, favorite, and follow on Spotify and Anchor. We'll see you next time.